Once again, whether you are a uh, visitor here or a regular member, is glad to uh, be with you this morning. There is one announcement that slipped my mind earlier. Uh, the youth are, are taking care of at least most of the, uh, the cleanup after, after worship. Uh, you may stick around and see if there's anything you can do, but as far as I know, they're, they're primarily going to be taking care of that. Um, this month, we are continuing uh, to go along in our theme of, of being exalted. And this, this month, specifically taking a closer look at uh, our, our salvation. The process of our being exalted is, is kind of just a, another way of saying that, that we're saved. It's, it's a bit of a nuanced way of saying it, but uh, they're, they're quite similar. That, that we are preserved above all that we are exalted above. So it's no doubt an, an appropriate subtopic. We've seen this month that because there is the good news of Jesus Christ... That that means that there has to have been some bad news too. And that's that we, we were uh, lost in, in our trespasses and sins. That, that there was something that, that God had to save us from. You also heard uh, last week from this pulpit preached that, that our salvation is a salvation that is worth talking about. That, that our salvation is something that, that the prophets of old and that uh, the, the angels desperately wanted to, to know more about and wanted to look into. But it was hidden in a mystery and revealed in Jesus Christ. And because we have such a great message that that is worth spreading throughout the whole world. This week we turn to a different portion of the New Testament. Perhaps a part that we don't consider all that often. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Jude. To the book of Jude. From this short book, we are going to see that our salvation is a salvation worth writing about. A salvation worth writing about. Jude is an interesting book. It, it's relatively simple to understand as a whole, that, but there are definitely some difficult things that, that are uh, sprinkled in there at the same time. And in this book, Jude, most likely the half-brother of Jesus, the brother of James, is writing to these brethren to warn them uh, of some false teachers who had crept in unnoticed by them. He's warning them of some people who were in the church who are trying to turn God's grace into lewdness, verse 4. And verses 5 through 19 is really the, the meat of the letter. He's going to allude to several different things in the book to liken these false teachers to. By my count, there are nine allusions to the book. He t in this book, he talks about the Exodus. He talks about the wilderness wanderings, certain rebellious angels, Sodom and Gomorrah, the archangel Michael disputing with Satan, the way of Cain, the error of Balaam, the rebellion of Korah and Enoch. The seventh from Adam. And again, we don't understand all the ins and outs of these illusions. But the point is, don't associate yourself with these false teachers and don't allow them to come in anymore. And he describes them also in some various non-flattering ways. Look at some of the descriptions of them. He calls them dreamers, meaning that they are delusional. They are Brute beasts, they are spots or hidden rocks. They're, they're clouds with, without water, meaning that they have no substance. They are uh, late autumn trees, the raging waves of the sea, wandering stars, all saying that, that they are useless and they are ungodly. And in four different times, in one verse, he calls them that. And finally, Jude speaks about their end. Or in other words, what is going to happen to them, what is going to become of them if they don't repent? Like those that he alluded to, they will be destroyed. They will receive judgment. They will suffer vengeance. He says, woe to them. They will perish as Korah perished. They will receive judgment and they will be convicted. Now after verse 19, Jude is going to go on to exhort the brethren to continue in their faith. And he's going to end on an outburst of praise to God. 
But before all of that, and in verses 3 through 4, it's the thesis verses of the book. Look at Jude, verses 3 and 4. He said, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and Lord Jesus Christ. So he wanted to write about one thing, but something else was more needful to write about. What did he want to write about? He wanted to write about their common salvation, verse 3. What was more needful? Again, uh, certain men who crept in unnoticed, trying to turn God's grace into lewdness, verse 4. But what we're going to see this morning is that even though Jude said that he, he was going to address something other than their common salvation, uh, we actually see a lot about that salvation in these 25 verses. Again, this is uh, a salvation worth writing about. And, and we're going to see four things that Jude says about that salvation this morning. Number one, he says we are preserved in Jesus Christ. We're preserved in Jesus Christ. Verse one. Look how Jude opens up his letter in verse 1, it says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. And then he says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So we have a threefold description of Christians. He says, we are called, we are sanctified, and we are preserved in Jesus Christ. Those first two, at least in my mind, are, are relatively simple. We are called through the gospel. As Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13-14, he says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we answered that call by calling on the name of the Lord. Joel 2.32, Acts 2.21, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So God calls us through, through the gospel, and we respond or, or call back through our obedience. He also says that we are sanctified. This is to say that, that we are set apart from the world or, or we are made holy. You can also say that this is to say that we are exalted above the world. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, Paul again says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see from there that God is able to sanctify the whole person. He says completely, spirit, soul, and body. And the means of sanctification is also clear. When Jesus, praying to his Father, would say in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We are able to be in the world, but not of the world, when we are engaging our minds in the word of God. But it's, it's this third thing that Jude lists here that is perhaps a bit more difficult to understand. He says, Christians, you are preserved in Jesus Christ. To say that someone or something is preserved is to cause a state of something to continue. Uh, what, what are we talking about? We're talking about salvation. What were the first two things that he, he lists here in this verse that they were talking about, again, our salvation. So as long as we are in Christ, we are preserved by him and in him. The fact is that there is secure. 
security for the believer. That is an undeniable biblical fact. And this is seen various ways throughout the New Testament. Jesus would say in John 10, 27 through 30, he says, My, my sheep hear my voice, and, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Paul would conclude in Romans 8 and verse 1, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That is obviously not to say that a Christian cannot, cannot fall outside of God's grace. As obvious as it is that there is security for the believer, it is just as obvious just by reading through Scripture that a Christian can fall outside of God's grace. Well, what, that, what that means then is that our security is contingent on our faithfulness or our continuance to walk in the light as he is in the light. But the point of this lesson is not to talk about our, our ability to fall from grace but the, but the fact is that there is, again, preservation or security for the Christian. As we saw last, week, or last month from Re- Revelation chapter 7, where those sealed saints of Israel, those who had the mark of God on their forehead, they had security that, that even if death harmed them, and there was a good chance that it would, that uh, they could t- still be secure in their salvation. That death wasn't the end, but rather the beginning of, of eternal bliss in the presence of God. Our being preserved in Jesus Christ does not mean that, that we can live however we want to live and expect for God to accept us for an eternity regardless. It does not mean that we are exempt from a painful death, uh, but it does mean that as long as we are continuing to live according to the will of God, according to uh, his word, as the Apostle John said, we can know that we have eternal life, 1 John five thirteen, And that knowledge grants us that indescribable peace of God and the comfort of knowing that, that there are greater things to look forward to after this life. Number two this morning says we have an uncommon salvation in common. Verse three. Look once again at, Jude, at verse three of Jude. It said, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to, to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So again, he wanted to write about the, the, the joys of their common salvation, but it was more necessary to write about these men creeping in, again, trying to turn God's grace into lewdness. I can imagine why Jude would rather write about the former than the latter. To write about the, their, their common salvation, that, that God saved them when they were dead in their trespasses and sins. Uh, of Jesus, his, his life, his, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection. That would be a much more pleasant topic to talk about than false teachers among the brethren. For our benefit, there are other portions of the New Testament that in more detail do describe that common salvation. But but as we see this morning, Jude still finds ways to talk about uh, this, even though he's talking about something completely different. But but some may ask the question, why would, would Jude call it our common salvation? What exactly is so common about it? And, and while the Greek word in some instances could be talking about quality, what he's talking about here in saying their, their common salvation doesn't refer to quality, but quantity. A good description of what he's talking about would be pertaining to being in common between two or more persons. He's saying we have this salvation which is not common in quality in common, meaning that, that they, they possess the, the same thing. The NIV actually may have uh, the most clearest rendering of this verse. It says, 
Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation that we share, I felt compelled to write to you to urge you to contend for the faith which was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. The fact is that, that our salvation is anything but common. It's, it's extraordinary. It, it, it's fantastic. It, it's awesome. Literally awe-inspiring. Remember what was preached last week, 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12? It was something that the prophets desperately wanted to know more about, something that the angels desperately wanted to, to look into, but it was revealed for us. Or about the things that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, our salvation, God's plan for Jew and Gentile inclusion in the saved body of the, of the church. It, it was planned from the beginning. It was hidden in, in a mystery, slowly revealed uh, over time, but, but now it's here. It's here for us to know. It's here for us to talk about. It's here for us to enjoy. And it was so extraordinary that Jude wanted to dedicate his entire letter to this thing. And it was so extraordinary that, that he still found ways to talk about it, even though he had to talk about something completely different. But uh, just know that our common salvation is anything but common. Number three. We have a responsibility to continue. We have a responsibility to continue, verses 20 and 21. So, again, we're, 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 kinda, we're skipping out on the, the, the meat of the letter. Verses 5 through 19 is his primary reason for, 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 reason for writing. He describes these false teachers. He makes comparisons to them. And he tells us what their, their end is. But now, after verse 19, Jude gets a bit more practical. We can obviously articulate in so many ways, and we have thus far, all the things that our salvation through Jesus means and, and all that, that's why it's significant. But in verses 20 and following, Jude tells us some of the things that we can now do with that, that knowledge. How to, how to put some of these things into some more practical application. Look with me, with me in verses 20 and 21. He says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith... Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Before I go any further, uh, you, you might, have, might have noticed he talks about praying in the Holy Spirit in, in verse 20. So what does that mean? I obviously don't know completely. Is he talking about praying according to the will of the Holy Spirit, praying with, with the help of the Holy Spirit, as Paul might be talking about in Romans 8, 26 and 27? Is it something somewhere in the middle, somewhere, something completely different? I mean, I'm not in a place where I'm going to say uh, one, one way or the other, but it's really not all that germane to the things that we're talking about this morning. But notice two things that he says in verses 20 and 21. Two things that are personal responsibilities. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, verse 20. And that's your most holy faith. That's, that's personal. That, not, not the faith like he talked about in verse 3. Then he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, verse 21. Again, in dealing with our salvation, we have a part of the bargain to uphold. Uh, we do not obey the gospel, live according to the flesh, and then expect God to accept us in his presence for an eternity. And there are way too many people living right now, living with that mindset. And if they don't change that mindset, it's going to end up costing them big time. But, but what are we living under? We're living under the new covenant, you know what a covenant is? You want a good definition of covenant? You could say that it is uh, to make a, a solemn agreement uh, between uh, involving reciprocal benefits and get this, responsibilities. This is an agreement that, that benefits both parties. 
It benefits us, obviously, because we enjoy eternal life through Christ Jesus. It benefits God because he, he desires our worship and for us to do it according to our free will. So, so how do we do this? How, how do we do these two things that, that, that Jude says? Well, it's the same things that, that some are taught before they can even speak or before, uh, yeah, before they, they can even speak. It's, it's keeping an open communication between you and God through the avenue of prayer. It's offering up the fruit of our lips and praising and worshiping him every opportunity that we're afforded. It's engaging our minds in his word, being mindful of things pertaining to him. Or we get to have to think about what Paul said about this. In Titus 2, 11 through 14, he says that because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to, to all men, there are some things that that grace teaches us and there are some things that are expected from us. Titus 2, 11 through 14, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every, uh, every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So all of those things that the Word of God tells us that we need to keep on doing could, uh, could and, and how we, we, we build up, uh, build ourselves up in our most holy faith, how we keep ourselves in the love of God, can be summarized by saying, live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Number four, and finally this morning, we have a responsibility to help others continue. Verses 22 and 23. Begin with me in verse 22, if you would. He says, And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So not only do we, do we have this responsibility to uh, build, up, build ourselves up in our most holy faith, keep ourselves in the love of God, but we also have a responsibility to help others to, to, to do the same. Whenever, whenever others might, might be struggling to press forward, we help them. Look again at the language that, that Jude uses in verse 23. He says, save others with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. We know that in the end, God is ultimately the one who, who saves. We have no power to save. We have no power to, to condemn. But in a way, we do have the ability to, to, to save others. If you want to get technical, we have the ability to help others to, to keep or, or to attain that salvation that, that God offers. But Jude here says, you have the ability to save others. You have the ability to, to pull some out of the fire. There is a parallel verse to this verse, verse in the writing of, of Jude's brother James. The last two verses of James' writings, James, uh, James writes this in James 5, 19 through 20. He says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So like Jude said that, that you can save some by pulling them out of the fire, James says that, that, that you have the ability to turn a wandering soul back. You have the ability to, to turn an, a sinner from the error of his ways. And if you do so, you will save a soul from death and you'll cover a multitude of sins. So what does that look like? How, how, how do we save some by pulling them out of the fire? How do we uh, turn a wandering soul back? How do we turn a sinner from the error of his ways? How, how do we uh, save souls from death? Well, we, we, we do so with our words. We do so with our actions. 
We, we can help others by, by, by showing them just that we, we care. If someone is stumbling and, the, and their faith is failing, maybe you don't see them in, in worship like, like you used to. You do not help that person with cruelty. You do not help that person with harshness or, or bitterness. You help that person by showing compassion. Not giving in any leeway to their sins. Uh, you, you don't justify their actions, but you've you got to be a, at least a little understanding, knowing that we all sin, but, but conveying to them that this is not the way to deal with those sins. You know, oftentimes in Jesus' ministry, we, we find him stopping what he was doing, looking around and looking at, at the multitudes around him. And what would happen whenever he would stop and look at the multitudes around him? Did, did he grumble and complain at them? Did he say, man, I just can't believe how, how sorry all these people are? No, he didn't do that at all. What we find is Jesus looking at the multitudes around him and being moved with compassion. Matthew nine thirty six. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So, uh, yes, we, we have the ability to, to save others from, from the, uh, by pulling them out of the fire, but you got to do it the right way. We have to have the disposition of, of Jesus when trying to turn others from their sinful ways. If we try to pull some out of the fire, but we're using harshness or bitterness, we might be pulling and pulling and pulling, but they probably are not going to budge. Notice also Jude's conclusion in verses 24 and 25. He's going to end on what uh, you might call a, a doxology or an outburst of praise to God. First look at verse 24. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Do you notice the first line of verse 24? You know, we shouldn't ever get in a position where we need someone else to pull us out of the fire. Uh, and I'm not saying you should be ashamed of yourself if you get in that place. Because chances are everyone has and, and, and everyone will. But, uh, brethren and friends, as long as we are staying close to him, as long as we are keeping that avenue uh, of prayer uh, open, as long as we are, are, are keep on praising him, as long as we are constantly aligning our thoughts with his thoughts through his word, then that is going to keep us from stumbling. If we need to be pulled out of the fire, then that signifies a departure from the one who is able to keep you from stumbling. As long as you are relying on God, verse 24, you will have no need for anyone to have to pull you out of the fire, verse 23. So, then Jude ends uh, his letter by saying in verse 25, to God our Savior, who is alone wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So, we have seen several things from the writings of Jude pertaining to our salvation, pertaining to the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Uh, we saw from verse 1 that, that not only are we called and sanctified, but we are preserved in Jesus Christ. There is security in Christ. We saw from verse 3 that, that while we share a common salvation, that salvation is anything but common in quality. From verses 20 and 21, that, that we have a personal responsibility to continue to build ourselves up in our most holy faith, to keep ourselves in the love of God. In verses 22 and 23, that we have a responsibility to save others whenever they're drifting into the fire. Again, we, we've seen so many things about, about our salvation, but, but let's not let all of the, the, the reason behind all of this get lost in the facts. The fact is that in 
the focal point of history. There was a man suspended in the air on a Roman cross. He was scourged. He's being mocked. He's being spat upon. He's being murdered. And we have to ask ourselves, why did that have to happen? And the answer to that question can be summarized in one word, love. Why did my Savior heaven leave and come to earth below where men his grace would not receive? Well, because he loved me so. Love is the overarching theme of Scripture, and it is what moved God to act on, on our behalf. So it is that whenever we consider that great love with which God loved us, uh, as demonstrated on the cross, it, it ought to behoove us to ask the question, what then can I do to show my love back to God? And we don't have to guess how God wants us to show our love to him. What did Jesus say in John 14, 15? If you love me, keep my commandments. And what are his commandments as they pertain to our salvation? Well, it's really quite simple. You have to hear the word of God preached. You have to uh, believe it. You have to repent of your sins. You have to confess Jesus as being the son of God. Be immersed in water for the remission of sins. And go on in life rejoicing in life, keeping the commandments of God. Maybe you've done that, but you've fallen short in, in showing your love to God in the way that he has prescribed. It isn't too late to change your ways. The Lord would say in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from, the, from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal, heal their land. If you have any need this morning, please come now while we stand and while we sing.